turn your Bible, if you will, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> Apologize ahead of time for my voice. <clears throat> Not much I can do about it, but you pray that I can uh, last through the message this morning, and uh, then I'll be understandable to you. As we receive uh, some new members <clears throat> into our congregation... I thought it might be appropriate to just remind us of our responsibilities as uh, the body of Christ to one another as we serve the Lord, and one of the best passages for that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you go through the New Testament Word of God, you'll find that uh, the Lord describes His church in many different ways. He describes it as a bride. And he describes it as a building. He describes it also as a brotherhood or a family. And then he describes it here in this chapter as a body. Now, the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The human body is an amazing creation, especially when it's fully functioning. It is one whole and complete organism consisting of many members, and Paul uses it as an illustration here of the church and how it is to function. Just as a body needs all of its parts or members to be fully operational, so the church needs all of its members to function properly. The Corinthian church of old missed this important concept, and the 21st century church does also sometimes. And we know that um, that church was a very gifted church. Um, their, um, they, they, became, they, they were behind in no spiritual gift, Paul says here. But their attitude toward the gifts, their overemphasis on some of those gifts, and their spiritual elitism were causing dysfunction in the body and handicapping it. And much like a person with uh, cerebral palsy or Parkinson's disease or some other disability, the church was not properly functioning. And all the parts of the body were present, but they were not operating interdependently uh, and smoothly. They were confused about the diversity of the body of Christ and how all members of that body were valuable and contributed to its full spiritual capacity. Now, all of us today, or at least those of us who know the Lord is our Savior, are members of Christ's body. And uh, we're all gifted to serve in that body and make it useful and serviceable for Christ. And the manifestation of that body is not so much... Uh, universal, some nebulous body that is incapable of meeting together right now, uh, the manifestation of the body of Christ is local, it is geographical, and in that body we exercise our gifts, our abilities, and talents through the local church to serve Christ in that location. Now, we cannot fulfill our function totally if we're not a member of that local body. And if we do not use what God has given us to serve him, we handicap the body. We disable it in some way. We also must be content with the place that God has given us 
in the church, even if it seems a lesser place than others might hold. Neither can we look down at anyone who seems to have a less important function or feel that we really do not need that member. Indeed, we are to have a genuine care for everyone in the body and appreciate their place in it. And in this way, uh, uh, Paul is showing us the necessity of diversity in the body of Christ. So let's ask God's blessing as we review these truths this morning. Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful today uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation he's provided. We know, Lord, that he promised to build his church, and he continues to do that today. And we're thankful, Lord, that through faith in him and what he's done to save us, we become members of that body. And Lord, our church is representative of that body. And as we bring in um, new members today for fellowships and service, we pray you'll bless that time and you'll bless your word that regards how we should uh, treat each other and serve you in the body of Christ here. Bless your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beginning in chapter 12 and verse 12, we have a theological analogy between the church and a body. Now, up to this point in his dealing with the church at Corinth, the apostle has reminded us of the source of spiritual gifts and power in the church. And of course, that is in the Holy Spirit of God. He now uses the analogy of a body to illustrate the diversity and the unity of Christ uh, similar to a human body. And we first of all want to take a look here at a fundamental unity and a necessary diversity in that body. And verse 12 we read, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So we see, first of all here, the oneness of the body. We all understand what that means. Each of us here live in a physical body. Uh, We are one person. We're one human being. Uh, We dress ourselves in that way. We say I or me or myself uh, as an individual person. But each person also consists of many uh, members or body parts, the idea here. We all have ears and eyes and hands and feet, etc. We all have internal organs that have important functions in our body. And all these make up one fundamental unity. And the parts are not a whole, but together they make the whole. And the whole person cannot exist without all the parts, It cannot fully function without all of its members. Paul says that this is also true of the body of Christ, his church. And being in him is like being in part of a body. He's the head, we're the body, says that in other places. And this body is made up of people, you and me. And this unity and diversity is created through the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one 
body. So what does that mean? Well, it's talking about spirit baptism at the time that we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. At that moment, we were uh, saved. The Holy Spirit came into us, cleansed us from sin, and there he resides from that point forward. Uh, we're submerged in the mystical body consisting of all believers of all ages. Now, of course, uh, that body is not something that's visible. It's not something that's going to gather until we all get to heaven someday and we're in the eternal state. So the idea of a universal body comes out, but the application is to localities like Corinth, uh, like the churches of Galatia, like the Ephesian church. So the Lord, the Lord is using this to illustrate not so much the universal body, but the local body as its members are operating and functioning. <clears throat> now, water baptism is the symbol of that spirit baptism, and it's the public profession of our faith within a local body of believers, and that identifies us as a member of Christ in a visible way. Entrance into the body of Christ erases all other distinctions. Note, as he goes on to say here, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink in one spirit. Doesn't really matter what your ethnic background was. Doesn't really matter what your religious background was. Doesn't matter um, about uh, your, your politics. Everything is leveled out when uh, we become a member of Christ's body, the church, and uh, we're all equal in the Lord Jesus Christ. Back at that, in that day, estimates are up to a half, half the world being in slavery. Can you imagine, uh, imagine that? But many slaves came to know Christ as their Savior, and he did not view them as inferior to their masters. We find that clearly taught in the Word of God. So it doesn't matter what your background is, uh, the playing field is evened out in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no distinctions in that body. Uh, Whether you're high class, middle class, low class, doesn't really matter. So regardless of what we once were, what our background might be, which is very diverse from each other, the Spirit has merged us into the body of Christ and we're equal members. And we're made to drink in one spirit, which is the idea of the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer. He places us in the body of Christ, the church, and he resides in us there. Now, verse 14, this illustrates again the body of Christ. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. It's made up of many people, Uh, Many members, and those are members trusting Christ as their Savior, immersed into his uh, spiritual body. Now, from that theological analogy, we derive important truth as to how the body of Christ is supposed to function. So let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at the necessity of the parts to the whole in verses 15 through 19. And the first thing we find here is that you should not repudiate your place in the body 
because it's not another place or another part. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? So he gives some illustrations here to bring out this point. Because the foot uh, is not the hand and may desire to be the hand, so to speak, it says, because I'm not the hand, I'm not part of the body. The hand, of course, if you think about it, has a a greater capacity to do things than the foot does. Uh, You can do more with your hands than with your feet, at least most people can, unless you're maybe a famous soccer player. But would you like to have a body without feet? The feet may have a lower function. They may not be able to do as much as far as dexterity that the hand can, but it's still necessary to the whole, and it shouldn't be saying, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. The same is true of your ear or your eye, as he goes on with the illustration here. If the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Of course, that's kind of ludicrous to think that um, uh, the eye uh, wants to be an ear or an ear be the eye. Uh, you can't say because I'm not what I want to be in the body, then I'm not going to be in the body. Unfortunately, some people think that way and they're not in the body. They go to some other body where they can be something different. So uh, it's ludicrous to think that everybody in the church, in the local church, is to have the same gifts or the same part or the same place, the same member in that body. In verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Okay, you've got to have different parts of the body in order for it to be a body that actually works. Imagine if you had a body only consisting of an eye. Now, maybe you've seen the movie Monsters, Inc. Well, one of the characters named Mike, he has arms and legs, but the rest of him's one big eye. It's just kind of strange. It's funny. It's a funny uh, movie, Uh, but it's kind of ludicrous. No such thing, right? So every part of the body is needed And it has a function for the operation of the whole body. An eye is there to see, very important part of the body. The ear is there so you can hear. And that's its function, and it's a very important part of the body. But it can't do the seeing, and the eye can't do the hearing, and, you know, they can't do the smelling. That's not what their function is. That's not what their job is. So let's think about this a little bit. There are Christians sometimes who get upset because they do not have a certain job or place in the body. Or perhaps they don't have a certain gift that they would like to have. And they don't realize that everyone is not called to do the same thing or always what they would like to do. There are all kinds of jobs that can be done in a church, 
and not everybody has to do those jobs. For instance, we may feel that working in the nursery is not as important as teaching a Sunday school class. But um, if you know some of the children we've had in our nursery, you ought to be really glad that they're not in the worship service because they would drive you nuts. Or they would have to be taken out of the service because they can't, uh, they're too young to be controlled, we should say. So that's an important job. You might think that cleaning the church and putting out the trash are menial tasks, but they have to be done. If somebody came to visit our church and the church smelled like trash, or they went in the bathroom and the bathroom's dirty, do you think that they would come back? Probably not. So these things may be uh, menial, some things more menial than others, but does that mean that we shouldn't do that then because we want to do something that we think is better than that or greater than that? Sometimes Christians may have a desire to serve in a place in which they are not really gifted. And uh, unfortunately, that happens as well. Uh, years ago, <clears throat> I sat on an ordination committee for a fella who uh, felt the Lord wanted him to be a pastor. But it was evident from the observations of the committee that he was not really gifted in that way. He had serious problems uh, uh, trying to preach. Um, he wasn't a even an average student. And so we suggested to him that there were other areas that he was better gifted for, and maybe he shouldn't be thinking about that. We ended up not ordaining him. He would have been a good deacon, uh, maybe a chairman of the board, but not apparently having gifts of pastoral capacity. And he followed our advice, and God was able to use him. We should also not be jealous or envious of others who serve God in a different capacity than we do or we can. <clears throat> For instance, if we are afoot, we should not be envious of the hand, so to speak. If we're gifted to deal with children, and we can serve in those types of ministries, well, we shouldn't be envious or jealous of someone who's working with adults or say, I want to go up the ladder and do that later on. We have to remember that dealing with young people is very important to the future of the church. If they don't have a proper basis and a proper foundation when they're little, they're going to grow up and um, their life's going to be chaos. Just look at uh, our country today and the results over the past few decades of uh, uh, even public school education. It's not working. These, these people have serious problems in their life because they have no foundation in the things that really matter. And the things that really matter are things that are taught in a Sunday school. So we have to be careful that we aren't jealous of someone who has another job, another place, another part than what we have. We also should not depreciate ourselves because we do not have other gifts and abilities. Note here that God has placed us where he pleases us in the body in verse 18. Now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. So he gifted you. 
He gave you different abilities and capacities. He is the one who pleased to do that. So we should be content with what God has done, what God has given, and uh, serve as it pleases him, not necessarily ourselves. So we use the gifts, we use the talents, we use the abilities God has given to us. And to be frank, far fewer gifts are given in the area of speech. In other words, uh, teaching, uh, preaching, things of that area, than other places that are not um, gifts of, of speaking, so, uh, so to say. So whatever that gift is, we should thank God for it, we should glorify him for it, and we should use it for his will and purposes. All right, that should give us then great contentment, and we have no reason to either depreciate ourselves or be proud of ourselves for whatever God has given to us. We didn't earn it. Then we see here also in verses 20 to 27, the interdependence of the parts uh, to the whole. So these parts are working together. They're functioning together to serve the Lord. Uh, the many members must work together so the body functions properly. Verse 20. But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body, just like the human body. We have all these different parts to our body. Each one of us has those parts, and yet it's one body, and those parts need to operate uh, together and function together, or the body somehow going to be handicapped. Now, in verse 21, <clears throat> one member is not to view another member as unnecessary. <clears throat> verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Um, that's really kind of silly because an eye can see all kinds of things in the sense of what needs to be done, and, uh, but the eye can't do anything to get those things done. It can only help you see what needs to be done, and maybe how things need to be put together to be done, but your hands are going to be the operative uh, part of your body that actually puts those things together. All right, and then he goes on to say here, <clears throat> uh, I, uh, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Well, your body can exist, it can live without feet. It probably can't live without a head. So the head, of course, is very important to the body. We've got to have a head. It does all the thinking. It does a lot of uh, things that we don't really have to even think about to the body. <clears throat> but the, the head should not say to the feet, I don't need you, because guess what? The head can't walk. It's got to have feet. So you can see what Paul's talking about here. Uh, the body would be non-ambulatory if it doesn't have feet, and you'll be seriously handicapped without them. And some Corinthians were looking down on other Corinthians who were less gifted members. They had this attitude of, of pride, and they were looking down on those that they considered to be lesser members of the church. Now, he goes on to say in verse 22, 
No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Uh, that means uh, feebler or perhaps less needful as far as the functioning of the body goes. And we can also use illustrations in other ways. For instance, uh, how often do you think about the needfulness of your big toe? <clears throat> and yet, if you didn't have a big toe, you would have problems with balance and problems with walking. As a matter of fact, in ancient times, when a country conquered another nation, very often they would chop off the thumbs and the big toes of the warriors of that conquered nation. Why would they do that? Well, it's not as bad as just killing them, but it makes them incapable of uh, <clears throat> wielding a weapon and standing strongly in a battle. So they, they incapacitated them in that way, so they couldn't fight against them at any time in the future. So even those lesser important parts <clears throat> are, are necessary to the body. If you don't have them, you're going to be handicapped in some way. Then he mentions something else in verse 23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. That means... Um, less presentable, so to speak, and that's the uh, word we have here, in our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Okay, so what's he uh, talking about here? Talking about parts of the body that are hidden, they're out of sight, they're not presentable. And Paul could probably be alluding here to private parts of the body which function in a private way. They're important because they, they eliminate waste from the body. They're involved in procreation, which, of course, is very important because without that, you don't have a human race anymore. But these are parts that God has ordained should be hidden. They should be covered up. And that's how we give them honor by, uh, in modesty by covering these things up, suggesting that there are parts of the body that are hidden. <clears throat> They're not out there where everybody can see them, but they still have a very important part in the body. And we honor those parts as well in a little bit different way. Other parts of the body, as he goes on here, are presentable. <clears throat> Verse two, uh, 24, they're presentable parts. They don't have any need of being covered up, so to speak. Um, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. Okay, so there are parts of the body that are always open. For instance, the face is very important. Uh, we, don't, we don't cover our face because we speak. We have eye contact. We can move our face around, and without even talking, we can tell if somebody's angry, if they're upset, if they're happy, if they're joyful. So the expressions of the face also can communicate something to people, and we don't have to cover that up. As a matter of fact, if we cover it up, there's a sense in which we do handicap. So there are parts of the body that are very visible. There are parts of the body that are not, and these still are important before uh, the Lord. <clears throat> um, whether a member is open 
to the view of everyone or they're hidden behind the scenes, they're still important to the body. They've got an important function and they should be respected and given honor just as much as the more open and presentable things like being the pastor, for instance. Um, In a former church, uh, there was a fella who uh, every Sunday morning he would come in early and he would open the church up. He would make sure everything's running properly, turn the lights on, get the Sunday school room straightened up and things of that nature. And he also would stay after church and close everything up. So I never even had to worry about that kind of thing. Uh, Really, the deacon board didn't have to worry about it. This fella did that. And that wasn't something you saw. It's not something that you would normally get commended for. But it's something that was appreciated by me and really should be appreciated by everyone because it's one of those kind of hidden things behind the scenes. Now, let's uh, draw some other applications from what we've seen here. First of all, again, there's to be no depreciation of other members of the body. Everyone is to be valued and respected. If someone has uh, fewer or lesser gifts, we don't disparage them. They're necessary and helpful to the function of the whole body. Some pastors need to uh, take that into mind uh, and realize that if you're in a position where you're a, a pastor or a leader of the church in some way, that doesn't mean you need to have an inflated ego. Uh, you need to get uh, pricked in the head, so to speak, and let some of that uh, air out of your head. <clears throat> so um, we don't depreciate other members of the body, no matter what their position in it might be. Secondly, there should be no division over the dis- uh, dis- uh, distribution of gifts. <clears throat> we see that here in verse 25. But uh, um, let's see, God composed the body, this is verse 24, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, no division, but that the members should have the same care one for another. So no division on the basis of how gifts were distributed, what your part is in the body. And we don't demand that everybody have one gift. We don't uh, cut ourselves off from others who seem to be less spiritual or less gifted. Uh, we do not form cliques in the church uh, based upon anything, really, especially um, perceptions of spirituality. Our gift and function in the body is to promote, promote unity, not division. And then there is to be mutual concern and appreciation among all the members in verse 26. Uh, Backing up a little bit, the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So if, if somebody in the church suffers, then uh, we, in a sense, suffer with them. We 
pray for them. We let them know we're thinking about them. Uh, For instance, when one part of your body is in pain, your whole body suffers. Um, Everybody here probably knows what a headache is. Um, I used to have headaches. Sometimes it would get so bad I just would have to go and, and lay down for a while. Some of you have experienced that as well. The only thing that was hurting was my head, but affected the whole body. You couldn't function. So you go and you lay down. And in the same sense, when we know somebody in the church is sick, we pray for them. They may not have something serious, but we still think about them and we pray for the Lord to heal them, bring them back to full capacity. If it's a little more serious, we want to, might want to take a meal. If they're in the hospital, we might want to go visit them. <clears throat> so we suffer when they suffer. We think about them. We care about them. On the other hand, uh, when they rejoice, we, we rejoice as well. Sometimes that's a little bit harder for us to do, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, especially if we feel that we have been ignored and someone else praised about the same thing. Very difficult for us. But when uh, God answers um, someone's prayer, we should rejoice. When somebody uh, gets better over a long illness, we should be happy for them as they are happy for themselves. When somebody is victorious over a trial, uh, we rejoice with them. And when they weep, we weep. So there's this, again, mutual caring within the body. And this is what makes us the body of Christ and particular members in it, as verse 27 states, we fit into the body in the place God has given for us. Well, let's close out with a couple other thoughts here. First of all, are you a functioning member of the body? Do you have a place of service, a role, or do you just occupy a pew? Even if you're getting older, and many of us are, uh, you can still do things that help in the body, that serve the body. Obviously, attendance on a regular basis, but giving and praying and witnessing and then helping in some ways that may be suggested um, throughout the year, such as this special giving to help uh, gospel groups go out in the land of India. All of us should think of ways we can be used to help uh, the church function better right here in this place. Then what is your attitude about your place in the church and that of others? Do you depreciate yourself because maybe you have a more lowly position than somebody else? Well, don't do that. God puts you where he puts you. Um, God's placed you where he wants you, and every place is important to him. Or maybe you depreciate others because their place seems to be more visible than yours or more important than yours. This is nothing less than pride and discontent when you start thinking in that direction. So we don't depreciate ourselves or others in the church because God has put us in that place. 
And then finally, do you have the same concern uh, for all the members of this body, or do you kind of pick and choose who you're going to be concerned about? Do we genuinely suffer with those who suffer and rejoice with those who rejoice, no matter who they are? So let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts about where we ought to be in this particular church, how we fulfill our function here, and as we bring new members into the family of God, how they will fully and efficiently serve him. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for your word, for its instruction. Lord, especially in the interrelationship of people in the body of believers. We're thankful, Lord, today that we have some folks who are going to join with us. And we just pray, Lord, that you will bless and use them as they continue to serve here and that we would all treat each other in a way that is pleasing in your sight and be happy with uh, the place that you've put us in the congregation. Bless us, Lord, as we close now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.